0: Good morning, everyone. I want to continue today on the theme of the differences between the world today and what it will be like when Christ returns and to present an overview of, of uh, some of these differences. And today we'll start with number seven, and that is knowledge will increase. Knowledge will increase in Daniel 12 verse 4. Daniel is told by an angel that god had sent he he said to but you daniel shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase now this prophecy has been and is being fulfilled in today's world in fact i remember my grandmother many years ago read this scripture and believed she believed that in her day this scripture had been fulfilled and and indeed it had in certain respects because it has been especially in the last few hundred years knowledge has been rapidly increasing and continues to increase almost exponentially in certain respects and people are going to and fro on the earth to an extent not possible before modern means of transportation, such as automobiles and and trains and airplanes. So certain types of knowledge have increased greatly, but concurrently the most important knowledge has been scorned and rejected. Even that which had been known has, to a large extent, been cast aside in the modern world. For example, a number of leading universities in the United States and other countries were originally founded by churches interested in promoting a knowledge of the Bible. But in most of those very same universities today, the Bible is regarded with scorn and if discussed at all is often ridiculed as myth and fable and is not taken seriously as a historical source nor as a guide to life. The materialistic theory of evolution has replaced the idea of a creator who calls people to account in our secular culture. As a result of the rejection of God and the Bible as the foundation of knowledge, our world is becoming increasingly ignorant of the most important knowledge of all, which is how to live. We read a prophecy in Isaiah 5, which applied not only when the prophecy was written, but to our day as well in Isaiah 5 verse 11 Isaiah wrote woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink who continue until night till wine inflames them the harp and the strings the tambourine and the flute and wine are in their feasts but they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of his hands yes they're more than willing to party and feast but in doing so they do not regard the work of the lord nor consider the operation of his hands and so as a result isaiah wrote therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst Therefore Sheol or the grave has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure, their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he who is jubilant shall descend into it. So because the people failed to regard the work of the hand of the Lord, they were destined to be destroyed as a people, as a nation. In Jeremiah eight and verse nine, Jeremiah 8, verse 9, it says, The wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? When you reject the word of God, then you're not going to wind up having much wisdom. Even if you have a lot of knowledge, you won't know how to use it properly. In Hosea 4, verse 6, Hosea 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from becoming uh, from uh, being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. And so that's coming to pass in our culture, our society, our nation, and other nations today. God is the source of true knowledge. All true knowledge comes ultimately from God. Daniel 2 and verse 20. Daniel 2 and verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things he knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Some people have ridiculed Christianity because they think it encourages ignorance, but that is the exact opposite of the truth. Real Christianity values knowledge, and that is an inherent part of genuine Christianity because Christ Himself is one whose spirit is a spirit of knowledge and understanding. In Isaiah 11 and verse 1, Isaiah 11 and verse 1, it says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The spirit of Christ is a spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of knowledge. When Christ returns to the earth, the veil of spiritual blindness that has afflicted, the world will be lifted. Lost knowledge will be made known, and true values will be restored. In Isaiah 25, verse 6, Isaiah 25, verse 6 says, in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces. The millennial period is likened to a feast. Actually, it's likened to a wedding feast, as we will get into here in a minute. But it says the Lord of hosts will make for his people, for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. The veil of ignorance and deception will be removed and knowledge will be revealed. As I mentioned, the millennial period is pictured as a wedding feast. Matthew 22, Matthew 22 and verse two, it says the kingdom of heaven which is what is pictured by the, by the Feast of Tabernacles, the millennial period of the kingdom of heaven, is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Notice that the kingdom of heaven here is the subject that it is likened to a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call, to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. The word translated marriage here in verse 2 and the word translated wedding in verse 3 are both translated from the plural of the Greek word gamos and A.T. Robertson in his book Word Pictures in the New Testament says concerning this quote, a marriage feast, speaking of of these words in in verses 2 and 3, and elsewhere in this chapter and other places in the New Testament. It says, quote, a marriage feast, gamus, plural, as here, is very common in the papyri for the wedding festivities, the several acts of feasting, which lasted for days, end quote. Also, the singular of this same word can be used, of a marriage feast or a wedding celebration as it is in verse 8 of Matthew 22 and other scriptures such as John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 and so forth. So what it's speaking of there is not just people standing up before a preacher for a few minutes and getting uh, taking their vows, it's talking about a wedding feast which was an integral part of marriage in jewish culture at the time and had been for actually thousands of years but when people were married typically they became betrothed that is married to one another and then there was a period of time often a year or so before the marriage was consummated and then there was a wedding feast which lasted usually for a week or several days at least, and that's what it's talking about, the marriage feast. And this is typical of the relationship between Christ and the church, which I won't get into in detail now. We've discussed that in other sermons and articles and so forth. But a marriage feast typically included feasting with the sharing of food and drink, the playing of music, singing, dancing, and similar expressions of rejoicing. And these are activities commonly included in keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles pictures the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And the marriage feast analogy helps us relate to the rejoicing that will occur under the reign of Christ in the millennium. The parable of Matthew 22 of the wedding feast and a similar parable in Luke 14, both point to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ picturing it, as I mentioned, as a wedding feast, which, as I mentioned earlier, usually lasted for as long as a week. But there is one feature of the Feast of Tabernacles and of the kingdom of God that is not typically found in a wedding celebration. And that feature is the imparting of knowledge through teaching and instruction. Now, that may be included in preparing the bride and the groom for marriage, but usually it's not part of the wedding celebration itself. From the standpoint of the Bible, formal instruction in the Word of God is, however, to be a key feature keeping the Feast of Tabernacles along with other activities such as feasting, music, dancing, and so forth. In describing a service held at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah on the Feast of Trumpets, we read this in Nehemiah 8, beginning verse 7. Nehemiah 8, verse 7, also, also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Aqab, Shabbathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabed, Han- Hanan, Paliah, and the Levites. And these were probably all priests that are mentioned here. Help the people understand the law And the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. Now this was on the the feast day and it was at a formal service where people were assembled to hear the law taught. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God, do not mourn or nor weep for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. This is how uh, things had deteriorated among the Jews, even at this time, they were so unused to being properly instructed that it was, for some, at least it was Apparently a new experience or an unusual experience in verse 10 it says then he said to them go your way Eat the fat drink the sweet and send portions to those For whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength So the Levites quieted all the people saying be still for the day is holy do not be grieved and all the people went their way to eat and drink to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now this also was done during the Feast of Tabernacles as it goes on to explain in Nehemiah 8 verse 18. This is at the Feast of Tabernacles. Also day by day from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. So, the Feast of Tabernacles from the beginning was intended to be a time for the teaching of God's Word. We read in Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31, beginning with verse 10, it says Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you crossed the Jordan to possess." Now notice here it says the end of every seven years this was to be done. that does not mean that the law was only to be read at the Feast of Tabernacles once every seven years. What this does pertain to in terms of the seven-year period is that everyone was together for the Feast of Tabernacles at least once every seven years other years only the males were required to appear at the feast now quite often the entire family would attend but if that were not possible for whatever reason at least the males were expected to be at the feast but once every seven years it was required for everyone to gather at the feast including the children the wives even the strangers in Israel were together to hear the law taught. And so that from the beginning has been a very important part of the feast, part of the very purpose for the feast's existence. And this like other aspects of the Feast of Tabernacles is typical, it points to something greater. It points to the teaching of knowledge especially spiritual knowledge, during the time when Christ rules the earth and his kingdom. Christ will rule in wisdom and knowledge. As we read in Isaiah 33 and verse 5, it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. God will teach knowledge to mankind when Christ establishes his rule on the earth. Psalm 94 and verse 9, Psalm 94 and verse 9, he who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity. Now, it's going to take time for all the people on earth to get used to the new government and acclimated to what God wants them to do. But after a period of time, the nations will be not only ready but eager to learn God's ways. As we read in Isaiah 2, Isaiah 2 and verse 1, it says the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of jacob he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths for out of zion shall go forth the law and the word of the lord from jerusalem so notice the peoples of the nations are going to be going to jerusalem for the specific purpose of being taught god's laws so they can walk in his ways god will commission teachers to impart knowledge god will commission teachers to impart knowledge and if we have the privilege to be there in the resurrection with christ then we may be some of those teachers in jeremiah 3 and verse 14 jeremiah 3 and verse 14 it says return O backsliding children says the lord for I am married to you, I will take you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I'll give you shepherds who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. The knowledge of God that has been lost or that was never known before will be revealed and taught to mankind during the millennium in Isaiah 32 and verse 3 Isaiah 32 verse 3 it says the eyes of those who see will not be dim and the ears of those who hear will listen also the heart of the rash will understand knowledge and the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly so those who have a tendency to be rash will come to understand knowledge In Isaiah 11 and verse 9, Isaiah 11 and verse 9, it says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When the knowledge of God is universal, then the world's going to be a different place. No longer will nations be ignorant of the true God, and they will learn to understand his ways. The potential for the revealing and the learning of knowledge of all kinds of knowledge will be unlimited but all of that knowledge will be based upon a proper spiritual foundation now the eighth difference that I want to discuss between the world today and the world under Christ's rule has to do with health and longevity health and longevity in the United States today it's estimated that about 60 million people have some form of long-term respiratory disease such as hay fever asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease 60 million about 23 million Americans have or have had a serious cardiovascular disease and this does not include those diagnosed with high blood pressure which would be just about everybody with the current standards. 23 million have had a serious cardiovascular disease, such as uh, serious heart disease, stroke, or so forth. 23% of Americans, according to the Centers for Disease Control, have some form of arthritis. It's estimated that about 43 million Americans have some form of mental illness. About one in six Americans get sick with a foodborne disease each year. One in nine Americans, 65 and older, are afflicted with Alzheimer's disease. In a given year, about 11% of women in America have a urinary tract infection. About 29 million Americans have diabetes. Six to 10% of the population has thyroid disease. More than four and a half million Americans contract some form of venereal disease every year. And these are just some of the diseases that afflict the population of the United States. Other countries in the world have their share of diseases among their populations as well. A, A study of global disease in 2013 published in The Lancet A medical journal concluded that 95% of the world's population was sick with some kind of significant illness during the year. A third of the population was found to have had more than five chronic or acute illnesses during the year. That's 95% were sick at some time during the year with some significant illness or disease or injury. An average of more than $10,000 per person is spent in the United States on health care each year. An estimated $477 billion was spent on pharmaceutical drugs in the United States in the year 2016. What do these statistics tell us? Well, they tell us that the population of our world is sick tells us that sickness of some kind is the norm in our society. Now, there are some people who remain relatively healthy until close to the time of death at, at an advanced age, but it seems that this is not the expectation for a very large segment of the world's population. Now, God told the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness, in Exodus 15, we read it, verse 26 Exodus 15 verse 26 God said if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you so he said if that they if they would keep his laws that he would bring none of the diseases of Egypt upon them. And many of the diseases that were prevalent in Egypt are the same diseases that are prevalent in our world today. He also said to them in Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 7 and verse 11, God said, therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. Then it shall come to pass because you listen to these judgments, keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers, and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. And then it says in verse 15, verse 15 of Deuteronomy 7, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness. The Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known. Now that was God's promise to his people if they would obey him. Now, when Jesus Christ returns to the earth to establish his kingdom, he will come with the power to heal the sick and to bring health to the nations. In Isaiah 61 and verse one, Isaiah 61 and verse one, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So people are going to have the oppression of disease along with other forms of oppression lifted from them. A preview of the healing that shall occur at the second coming of Christ is found in the healing displayed at the time of the first coming of Christ in the flesh 2,000 years ago. It says in Matthew 15, verse 30, Matthew 15, verse 30, Then great multitudes came to him, that is to Jesus Christ, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel and there are many other accounts in the New Testament about healing especially during the ministry of Jesus Christ and even later on in the early period of the church there were similar miraculous healings on a large scale now that tapered off eventually and we're not seeing healing in the same on the same scale or level today but it will be we will be seeing it during the millennium, especially when Christ returns at first because virtually everyone is going to need to be healed, everyone who's left alive will will have health issues and problems that need to be healed. Notice in Isaiah 35 verse three, Isaiah 35 verse three, it says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. In Malachi 4 and verse 2, it says, To you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Psalm 103 and verse 1, Psalm 103 and verse 1, we read, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. And in Psalm 147, which is a messianic psalm pointing to the time of Christ's kingdom being established, it says, psalm 147 verse 1 praise the lord for it is good to sing praises to our god for it is pleasant praise is beautiful the lord builds up jerusalem he gathers together the outcasts of israel he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds jeremiah 33 and verse 6 this is speaking of jerusalem when christ has returned jeremiah 33 and verse 6 it says behold i will bring it that is jerusalem health and healing i will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth and i will cause the captives of judah and the captives of israel to return and will rebuild those places as at the first i will cleanse them from all their iniquity which they have sinned against me and i will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me and what pertains to jerusalem applies to the rest of israel and eventually to the whole world in ezekiel 34 and verse 12 ezekiel 34 and verse 12 it says as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep so i will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I'll bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen that which was sick. And then in Isaiah 33 and verse 20, it says, Look down on Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. Not one of its stakes shall ever be removed, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there the majestic Lord will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams in which no galley with oars will sail nor majestic ships pass by. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And then in verse 24, it says, and the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Now, the people out of whom, whose countries the people of Israel will, will be brought will be watching what's happening. They will be seeing, witnessing what God is doing with Israel. Israel will become an example for the other nations. Not only will the sick be healed, but people will live much longer lives during that period. In Isaiah 65, 65 verse 21, it says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit it. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Now, he says, as the days of a tree, trees are believed to be the longest living organisms on earth. Trees can live for hundreds of years, in some cases even thousands of years. So it's conceivable that someone born early in the millennial period might well wind up living through the entirety of that period doesn't tell us specifically how long they'll live but the days of a tree certainly implies very long lives so in contrast to the world of sickness and disease that we have today in the world under Christ's rule there will be health there will be freedom from sickness and disease and long life for the fleshly human beings who will live in that age except for the relatively small number who rebel against him during that period. Now, the ninth difference that I want to discuss between the world today and the world under Christ's rule is that nations are going to learn to worship the true God. The nations will learn to worship the true God. In today's world, most people are in spiritual bondage to false gods and false worship. There are many churches, you might want to sometimes when you're driving along the highway, even the interstate, you might just take note of how many churches you pass by. One after the other, many places. Very large cavernous buildings. There are many religions of every conceivable description. Yet despite all the churches and religion, the true God and his ways are largely hidden from the view of mankind. When God gave to Israel His commandments, three of those commandments pertain specifically to idolatry or false worship, and in a uh, in a sense, all of them applied to to that. But specifically, three of them applied to idolatry and false worship. God said, as we read in Exodus 20 and verse one, God spoke to all these words saying, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That was the first commandment. Shall have no other gods before, it could be translated besides me. In other words, God was to be the only God. He said, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them." Meaning that they were not to make any image of anything that was to be worshiped. That doesn't mean it's wrong to have pictures or carved objects, because we see those in the temple and elsewhere later on. But they were to have no images No pictures, no anything that was intended to worship in any way. For I am the Lord your God, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, the third commandment. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. He takes his name in vain. And when one is engaged in false worship, using God's name, that is taking the name of the Lord in vain. So the people of Israel were given those laws and they continued nominally worshiping Yahweh and yet they persistently broke those commandments forbidding idolatry and false worship. And this is mentioned many places in the Bible, one of which is Ezekiel 20 and verse 23. Ezekiel 20 and verse 23, Also I raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them through the countries because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. Therefore I also gave them up to statutes that were not good, and judgments by which they could not live, and I pronounced them unclean because of their ritual gifts, in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire, that I might make them desolate, and that they might know that I am the Lord. Therefore, Son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, and this too your fathers have blasphemed me by being unfaithful to me. When I brought them into the land concerning which I had raised my hand in an oath to give them, and they saw all the high hills and all the thick trees, there they offered their sacrifices and provoked me with their offerings. There they also sent up their sweet aroma and poured out their drink offerings. Notice how religious they were. And then I said to them, what is this high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Bama means simply high place. Therefore, and and this term usually, not always, but usually in the Bible refers to a place of pagan worship. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols. Even to this day, so shall I be inquired of you by, O house of Israel. As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. In other words, God would refuse to hear their prayers because while they were praying and worshiping and using God's name in their worship, Their worship was idolatrous. It was a false worship, a blasphemous worship. And for those sins, the people of Israel were sent into captivity in ancient times. As we read in 2 Kings 17, 2 Kings 17 verse seven, so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. Also the children of Israel secretly did did against the Lord their God things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in, in all their cities. Yes, they had plenty of church buildings or high places from Watchtower to a fortified city and they set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense in all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them and they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets. Every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, and my statutes. According to the law, which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord God, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. Now, what have we done in our society today? How many of our religions actually teach and practice the commandments of God faithfully says they left all the commandments made for themselves a molded image and two calves made a wooden image and worshiped all the host of heaven and served Baal and they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger I read not too long ago at the Air Force Academy in Colorado they officially practice witchcraft that's one of the religions that's practiced at the air force academy therefore the lord was very angry with israel and removed them from his sight there was none left but the tribe of judah alone also judah did not keep the commandments of the lord their god but walked in the statutes of israel which they made and the lord rejected all the descendants of israel afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. Now, for these same sins, God is going to allow modern Israel to be taken into captivity captivity in a similar manner. But then God will intervene to bring out of captivity those who are left alive and restore them. As we read in Jeremiah 30 in verse 7. Jeremiah 30 beginning with verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and I will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have rest and quiet, and no one shall make him afraid." When physical Israel is brought out of captivity following the return of Jesus Christ, they will come out repenting of their idolatry. As we read in Ezekiel 20 and verse 40, Ezekiel 20 and verse 40, For on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Lord, there all the house of Israel, all of them in the land shall serve me there i will accept them and there i will require your offerings and the first fruits of your sacrifices together with all your holy things i will accept you as a sweet aroma when i bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you've been scattered and i will be hallowed in you before the gentiles then you shall know that i am the lord when i bring you into the land of israel into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled, and you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. Now, the nations will see the example of the people of Israel being freed from the grasp of their captors, as we've seen. The nations will see this occurring. Ezekiel 36 and verse 23, Ezekiel 36 and verse 23 I will sanctify my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst and the nations shall know that I am the Lord. Says the Lord God when I am hallowed before you in their eyes for I will take you from among the nations gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you to take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you to cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God." I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and will bring no famine up, upon you. I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again to bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways that were not good and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord. Let it be known to you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the garden of Eden and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places. Now, he's probably going to use people to accomplish a lot of that rebuilding, but he will be managing it. But it says, I have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate, I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So all the ruined cities will be filled with flocks of men and then they shall know that I am the Lord. So notice that As these things are happening, people all over the world are going to be witnessing what's occurring. And Israel is is going to be rebuilt. First, the the, the city of Jerusalem, the land of Israel, will be rebuilt and turned into a fruitful garden. And the nations are going to be looking at that. And they're going to be wanting to experience the same thing in Ezekiel 11 verse 16 therefore say thus says the Lord God although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles and although I have scattered them among the countries yet I will be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone therefore say thus says the Lord I will gather you from the peoples assemble you from the countries where you've been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel and they will go there and they will take away all its detestable things and all its abominations from there, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and they will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. And then the Gentiles seeing the example of Israel will forsake their idols as well. Jeremiah 16, verse 14, therefore, therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on their ways and they're not hidden from my face, nor is there iniquity hidden from my eyes. And first I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin because they have defiled my land and have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, when the Gentiles see, what God is doing with the people of Israel they will come from the ends of the earth and say surely our fathers have inherited lies worthless and unprofitable things will a man make gods for himself which are not gods therefore behold i will this once cause them to know i will cause them to know my hand and my might and they shall know that my name Is the Lord. In this series of sermons, we've discussed a variety of differences between the world as it is now and the way it will be under the reign of Christ. There are many more aspects of that that could be discussed, but to to rehearse what we've covered in this series of sermons, there will be an end to oppression, there will be just government, an end to war harmony among races and nations, a stable government, favorable weather and abundance for all, knowledge will increase, health and longevity will be the norm rather than sickness and short lives, and nations will learn to worship the true God. Although this is by no means an exhaustive list of differences to be made by the presence of Jesus Christ on the earth, I hope it has provided food for thought about what is the kingdom of God.